My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Andrea Westrom. She is a certified life coach providing firefighter support, women's empowerment, and domestic violence support. Previously, she served as a volunteer EMT and emergency response coordinator. She's a 30-year firefighter advocate. She has a firefighter support dog named Tiberius. And uh, we're, we're talking, you're in Santa, let's see, you're in the Santa Cruz Mountains right now, uh, mm -hmm. mother of two children. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful that you agreed to come on and talk about what it is that you're doing and really what what led you on this path. I was hoping we could just start from the beginning. Uh, like, where were you born and raised? Where'd you grow up? What was life like growing up for you? Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for having me. Um, so I was actually born in Palo Alto. I think everybody knows where Palo Alto is now. But when back in the days when I was born, Palo Alto was nobody really knew where we were it was like oh it's by Stanford it's between San Francisco and San Jose um it was a very different place growing up it was just a small little blue collar town where we rode our bikes and the policeman lived next door and the butcher lived down the street and you know it was just very different than it is now um before it became the Silicon Valley so I um I grew up there uh, with my parents um my dad was retired military and um he was Army. He also worked with the NSA and um, the State Department. Um, he was quite a bit older, so he was retired when I was five, and uh, he would take me off-grid for the summers um, and uh, up in Mendocino, and I learned all sorts of kind of not the normal kid things, but um, I think it got me, you know, it gave me my love of the mountains. My parents actually, because they were older, got sick when I was not even out of high school. Um, my dad developed Alzheimer's when I was probably my late teens, but he wasn't diagnosed till I was 21. So uh, it was really hard for me to leave at that point, um, especially being an only child. And um, so my dad was actually diagnosed um, when I was 21 and I actually became his conservator when I was 24. And I was his, um, I was responsible for his well-being for about, uh, I think he, he passed in uh, 2001. And then um, around 1998, my mom also developed uh, a dementia. So I was um, balancing both of them. And I had a two-year-old at the time. It was, you know, it was, it was a long 11 years. It definitely shifted things. I worked as a preschool teacher um, substitute for 25 years. I was a fitness instructor, a personal trainer. I um, kind of anything I could kind of squeeze in between doctor's appointments and, and, you know, family emergencies and stuff. My mom was a social worker who dealt with um, single parents 
and uh, a lot of domestic violence stuff. So I grew up around that and, and I used to babysit for those moms and not really understanding at the time, but I think as I got older, I sort of realized what some of them were going through. With my dad sick so much, you know, the fire department was, you know, I became very, very close to them, um, knowing who they were, because, you know, if I called them, they were the ones who came in and would take my dad to the hospital. They became like my lifesavers. You know, I, I know you guys will come and take him and he'll be okay. And, and so, um, I was married to a police officer. I was, we were together for, um, about 13 years, um, third generation. So I was exposed in those circles for a long time. And, um, a lot of his friends, of course, were firefighters. And I think it just kind of started going in that direction. Um, I was a lifeguard for years. Then a year, a couple of years later, um, I decided to uh, become an EMT, something I'd always wanted to do. I had to wait till my daughter was a little bit older, my first one, who's uh, 20, almost 22 now. Yeah, I became a volunteer EMT. I would have loved to have gone further with it, but it was just really hard as a single parent, unfortunately. Um, without, with the hours, it just wasn't something I could, I could do, but, um, I worked with an organization, organization, um, in the Bay area called rock med through the hate Ashbury free clinic. And so we did, um, we provide, uh, free medical services at, uh, music venues. And when I had started, it was a very small group. Now it's like the 49er stadium and, um, it's blown up. It's, it's a huge thing now. And it's something I would definitely love to get back into, but it was a great experience. And it, it definitely gave me some great networking, um, great skills. And I had, I had a blast doing it. My second marriage was very abusive and very unhealthy. Um, I dated a few very unhealthy people after that, unfortunately, which is kind of a pattern. I think at the time I didn't really realize what was going on because it is so minimized you call the police and a lot of times they don't they're like just get along and it's fine you just need some space or something and unless they they touch you they really don't get it it seems when I divorced my second husband um because he he was just really he was a, a very abusive narcissist it took me a few years and then I was, I would think I was starting to watch um, a lot of videos and, you know, I think the social media thing was starting to come out and I was watching it and I saw someone who posted something about that. And I, and I was thinking, wow, like I have so much to tell and so much, like I'm not alone in this. There's so many people going through the same thing and I'm on the other side of it now. I mean, I have been through so much, but I don't think I realized how much I had been through until I really understood it, if that makes sense, and got away from it. And so at that time, I decided, okay, you know, I have um, my second child um, is 12 years younger than my first one. She's nine now, and she is some, she has some special challenges. And it, especially with COVID and everything, it's made it really hard to, uh, you know, work outside of the home with her. And so I was like, this will be the perfect solution. Um, I got certified as a life coach. Um, and got some really great training, met some really amazing people. And since then, it's kind of been my, um, sort of my, I don't know, it, it drives me when, when I see these, so many women are coming out now and posting. I mean, it just blows my mind on TikTok and on Instagram, how many, when you put in narcissist or domestic violence or abuse, God, it just, it, it explodes. And I'm like, wow. Okay. Like I'm in, I'm in the right group now, but a lot of them are just going through it. 
they're not on the other side of it. And they're having that hopeless trapped feeling. And I think it's really hard to go to a counselor because they don't, if they haven't through it, they don't get it. To be honest, it does take a toll on me. It, it, it brings up a lot of bad memories. It triggers things. And I kind of decided at that point that I needed to break it up. And so around the same time, um, I'm sure you're, uh, most of your viewers are aware um, in 2020, California got hit with some, some massive fires. Um, I do live in the mountains off Highway 17, and we actually had to evacuate for a week. Um, and I've been dating a firefighter the last couple of years, and um, he also had to evacuate. And I think at that point, um, I had actually just gotten my puppy for my daughter, actually. He's learning how to be a therapy dog for her. And I was taking him to the hotels to visit the guy I was seeing and, or I'm seeing, and um, I would see the, I, I think it kind of gave me that inside scoop on what they're going through, especially the wildland firefighters. And I think being in those circles the last couple of years and seeing emotionally and physically what it does to him really just, I had the utmost respect for firefighters. I mean, I have a ton of friends that are firefighters, but I don't think I understood them in the same way until I went through all this. I decided that Tiberius, Ty, um, because he's been around firefighters his whole babyhood, he's a COVID puppy, he really had a thing for it. Like he, lo he truly loves them. They're his favorite people. Um, and so I reached out to some of my friends and um, he actually got picked up by two departments. Um, just to get him the exposure and everything. And he absolutely loved it. He, he did a great job. He would just go in and they'd be like, Hey, Ty's here. And it was like, he was like one of the guys and it, it, it made his day. It made my day to see them get that break and be happy. And then I noticed a lot of the guys were, as they started to get to know me, were reaching out to talk to me kind of like on the, on the side a little bit, like we don't want to hear it. And I was like, wow, like, you know, I kind of looked in and I was like Googling, like, are there any coaches for firefighters? Like, are there any support systems besides psychiatrists and psychologists and the people through your work? Because the problem that I'm hearing is a lot of them won't go because it is connected to work. There's that stigma, that horrible, horrible mental health stigma, which is even worse for law enforcement and firefighters. And I think at that point, I decided that I was going to do whatever I could to be as supportive as I could in any way. Um, as far as like, I'm looking into becoming a, um, with one of the cancer agencies, the firefighter cancer support services to um, be that person in this area to support the, can the firefighters that are diagnosed with cancer and their families, the mental health, the, the wives, the girlfriends, the, the kids. I mean, there's just, there's so much there. And then of course, you know, the cancer rates and the suicide rates are, are off the charts and it just shouldn't be like that. When that certain thing that they, that certain call that they go to really triggers them, it does, it, it, it's hard. They, they have to compartmentalize. And I get that because I used to do that too. You go from one call to another call. And if the last call was really, really horrible, you gotta just suck it up and go on, put it in the drawer and close it. Well, the problem that's happening is that they're never opening those drawers again because it's just too painful. And there's just so much PTSD out there and just not the kind of right support, I think, for them. And so that has kind of become my passion now. Um, 
it, it gives me a break from the domestic violence stuff. I feel like I can do more. There's just so much more out there. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, they're a tough crowd, um, especially for an outsider like myself. Um, but I, you know, I do whatever I can. And I, I figure, you know, the dog and I, you know, we, we've gone to some fires and some base camps, hoping to have him finally certified this year so we can actually go on more and um, hopefully get in with some more agencies to be a little more on the therapeutic level for them. But, you know, it's just when I see them light up and they're so grateful and they're, they say, we appreciate this so much. We're so thankful. Um, it makes it all worth it moving forward. You know, hopefully I can do a lot more to, to help, you know, the domestic violence victim victims, and as well as, you know, anything firefighter related. I was wondering if, if we could talk a little more about the, the women's empowerment and the domestic violence aspect of what you do. What is the most common issue that women come to you looking to, you know, get, get coaching uh, around the women's empowerment? Good question. Um, I would say probably the majority of them have been in an abusive marriage or situation or even a childhood situation. I think that when you grow up with that, you grow up doubting yourself. You grow up hearing messages that aren't true and you aren't able to be your true authentic self because you're always told to put it away. And especially those who have been in a domestic violence situation, you know, they're always told be quiet or, you know, you're making it up or you're so dramatic or, you know, that's not true. And, oh, you're always stirring, you know, whatever. And especially those who are in really long-term marriages, that, that messes with your head. Um, you, I mean, I've been out of my last relationship for quite a few years now, and I've still noticed there are things that I do. Um, my older daughter still does, there's still things we do that's just kind of rooted in you. It just becomes a habit. And so I think a lot of what I do with these women, it obviously depends on their, what, what exactly their situation is. I don't go into it with a goal. I kind of get an intuitive feeling about something. And sometimes I will, which is not typical coaching, but I'll say one minute pause. What did you just say? And they're just, you know, going on and on. And I'm like, what did you just say? And they'll say it. And then I'm like, okay. And we'll kind of branch off on that a little bit. And to them, it's nothing. But to me, it's this like huge flag. Like, this is where we need to go. This is going to lead to it. And nine times out of 10, we'll start talking about it. And then I'll, I don't even know what it is that I say or do, but it hits something. It hits some memory or some trigger and the tears start and they get that memory resurfaced and we talk about it and you, we let it out. We you know, discuss it however long they need to discuss it. And then we, it takes away its power. It shifts their perspective and it gives them the ability to see things in a different light. And I've seen just amazing transformations with some of my clients with, with one, it was more of a, a childhood abuse situation. And I think she didn't even realize it was that until she was an adult. I mean, she's, she's my age. She's like in her fifties and 
we had a converse, we had some conversations and she was having a lot of self-conscious issues and, and she has an amazing husband. So it's nothing to do with him. And I was like, where is this coming from? Like, why are you always like this? You're always like covered up. You're always having stock pictures on your site. And you're always scared to just be you. Like you're so different when I talk to you and it's just us versus when I see you on camera, like what's, what's, where is this? And we worked on things and a lot of it was her childhood. It was her childhood about being obese, about weight issues, health issues, abusive, a very abusive father. And it trickled into her life. And we were able to really work on that and to see them release that and like get that shift where they're like, wow, you're right. Like, I I didn't know it was wrong, but I get it now. And they let it go. They feel it and they let it go. And I saw her change. I saw her, her website change. I saw her post change. I see her pictures. She's just, she's so happy. She's glowing all the time. And that just warms my heart to see. And a lot of that is talking to women, especially the ones that are like still in the relationship. And they're like, well, he's doing this and he's doing that. But you know, a lot of us are taught from a young age, well, if he didn't hit you, it's not abuse. And that's certainly not true. Um, and I think there's a huge movement right now about narcissists, which, you know, some people it's, it's not an, you know, not everyone is a narcissist, but they're definitely out there and they're very confusing people to deal with. They're incredibly abusive. They're different types of them. A lot of women, even myself, with, with my second husband, I could not figure out what was wrong with him. I, I was like, is he bipolar? Is he depressed? Like, why is he acting like this? Like, what the, heck? like, it just made no sense to me at all. And, you know, I would talk to counselors and they were just like, oh, it's this, they always made excuses and brushed it off. And people are like, why did you stay so long? I'm like, because I didn't understand what was wrong. I didn't understand what was going on. Once I did, then it was actually kind of scary because you're dealing with someone in a whole different level of, of evil, to be honest. Um, there's guys who are abusive. There are guys that have bad tempers. They drink too much, you know, whatever their thing is. And then they're narcissists and they are a whole different level of, of hurt. And so I really help those women where I'm like, I understand you're scared. I understand your situation but there is help out there. There's a way to do it. And you have to be that badass that you feel like you are inside. You know, when I, when I start talking, I start feeling that anger come up in them and that power. I'm like, you need to take that. You know that you deserve better. You know, this isn't okay. So you have a choice, which is what I say to everybody. That is like my word. You have a choice. You can stay in this and be miserable and be unhappy or you can move on and yeah it's going to be hard but you have a support you know we are all here to support you i will support you unfortunately the courts aren't you know they do make it hard for us um divorces are not fun um i've had domestic violence situations and they never got were never held accountable ever at all like they just got completely brushed off so yeah, that's why a lot of women don't want to report things. And so I think now, like I said, there is this movement and I think that they, 
if I was just some doctor or some psychiatrist who had never been through it, they're going to look at me like, what do you know? Like whatever. But because they look at me like, wow, you're on the other side, you have gone through this. And especially now that I have been more comfortable and telling the stories that I've been through, people are like, oh my God, like, wow. Like you, you seriously went through some major stuff. Yeah, I get it. I know what you're talking about. I've been there and yeah, I mean, it's, it's not fun and it changes you, but you can rise above this. You will, you will be that person again that, you know, you are. And by staying in this, you know, you give away your power. And so that's where the whole empowerment thing comes in. It's taking your power back. And that's why my coaching is rise above. Um, because that's literally what you're doing. You're going to rise above all this. You're going to empower yourself. You're going to rise above it. You're going to be the, be this badass that you, you know, you can be and move on from this. You don't have to stay in it. Don't, you know, if, if someone minimizes the abuse or minimizes the situation, don't listen to them, move on. You know, what's true. Stick with your gut, stick with what you know is real, what you're living with. And luckily there are so much there's so much more out there right now and so many other agencies that will support you and, and get you out of there. So you can live a healthy, you know, safe, productive life. One thing that you said was that a lot of people view domestic violence as one thing, like there has to be physical violence for it to be defined as domestic violence. Well, maybe in the eyes of a police officer, but the, the actual trauma that's endured, like where, well, I, I guess I'm asking if you can talk a little bit about domestic violence more specifically, the, the types of domestic violence that that women a lot of times are, are dismissed for. Maybe you, you can talk about some of your own personal experiences that uh, I, we haven't really dug in. So I, I'm not sure if it, no, I'm was, totally if, fine with that. As long as I, I don't mention names or anything. Um, yeah. Um, there are, I think, Finally, now, I think when my mom was, was, you know, doing her work as a social worker, there was not, it was, it was, you know, domestic violence just wasn't the same. Um, The verbiage wasn't the same. The way it looked at wasn't the same. It's like you expected a black eye all the time and, and the whole um, burning bed. I don't know if you remember, you know, the Farrah Fawcett movie burning bed. It was, you know, about spousal abuse. It was always very extreme. It's not like that anymore. And I, I don't know what it was. I, I'm sure back then, even it wasn't always that extreme, but I think it just wasn't recognized. Of course, there's physical abuse. You know, you're being hit. That is obviously, you know, heartbreaking to hear about um, where, you know, I've, I've seen videos of women that are just getting the crap beat out of them for no reason. And that's just, that's, that's just wrong. I'm sorry. You, those, those people need to be in jail and, and it's just unacceptable behavior. There is verbal abuse where, you know, you're just being screamed at all the time. You can't do anything right. Um, and 
they come home, maybe they've been drinking, maybe they use drugs, maybe they're just grouchy, angry people. Um, and, and I'm saying this isn't just, me, you know, for women also, you know, men also go through this, I'm sure. And you're being just yelled at constantly and screamed in your, like, I've had this where I've been screamed, you know, in your face. I've had things thrown at me. I had an ex-husband who threw a phone at my head um, because I was trying to leave with my daughter who was an infant. And um, I was like, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to have my kids in this situation. This is ridiculous. If you're not going to leave the house, I will leave. And I went to go get her and he's like, you're not leaving and threw his phone at my head. And I have a picture of a hole that's, you know, probably like this, um, which he promptly had repaired so nobody would see. Um, but I, I definitely took a picture of it. Um, but even then the courts are like, but he didn't touch you. It's like, no, but you got to throw a phone pretty hard. What if that had hit my head? What if that had hit my child, my, my baby at the time? Control by fear. So you're being threatened. Like if I, if they're texting, like I would go to a nail appointment and it was like my one break, you know, for an hour from my kids and you know, he was home and he would drop me off. Well, I'd be 10 minutes into it. And my phone would start blowing up. Are you done? Are you done? Are you done? When are you going to be done? And my, my nail person would just look at me like, what's up. And I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta kind of finish. Like he's, he's out like in the parking lot, like waiting, like I gotta go. And she was just like, what the hell? Like, you know, but I didn't even see it then. It was just like, you're always on edge. You're always on eggshells. Um, it would get to the point where he would come home from work and my daughter, my older one at the time, who was, you know, probably like a preteen, you, you go to bed and pretend you're asleep because you just don't want to deal with it. You don't want to deal with the, you know, and then it was like the, um, the lack of sleep. So they come in and they purposely make noise to wake you up, bang around, slam doors, do everything, turn on the light. And it's actual sleep deprivation. Um, they do it completely on purpose. Um, another thing is uh, driving was absolutely horrifying with um, my ex-husband and an ex-boyfriend I had. Um, they have horrendous road rage and will drive purposely as fast as they can, uh, dodging in and out of traffic. Um, and it's absolutely terrifying. And what's even scarier is when your kids are in the car. I mean, this was done when I had a newborn in the car and, you know, we almost got in an accident and they just laugh at you because you're sitting there crying, like, please stop, slow down, slow down. And they're like, what, whatever, you know? Um, and then they wonder why you don't want to get in the car again. And then they mock you for that. Um, so you, you have no say, you have no feelings. Um, I think... What's also hard too is, is like my ex-husband, he was what we call a covert narcissist. So everybody loved him. They thought he was amazing and charming and oh my goodness. And so I was, you know, brought out with the kids at events and oh, my wife and look at our beautiful house and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then the minute we'd get home, it would be a whole nother, he was an entirely different person. Um, Silent treatment is also incredibly passive aggressive abuse where they literally just won't talk to you for days. And it's, it's just, you don't know what you did. You don't know what to do and 
you're just, you're tiptoeing around, like literally waiting for the ball to drop, just like what the hell. Um, and, and you, when you live in that, you're always on eggshells. You don't sleep well, you don't eat well. You're just, you're scared to bring up stuff because you're minimized. Anything you say is, oh God, this again. You know, they stonewall you, they gaslight you. They don't want to have conversations. They don't want to take responsibility for their behavior. But, um, you know, narcissists are even worse where they will do things so that are so sadistic and emotionally painful that it, it's just, people just don't even believe you, which is hard because they do gather support and make you look like the crazy one. We have that reactive abuse where you're pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and you keep your mouth shut. And then one day you just snap and they're like, see, she's crazy. I told you, you get called, you know, that's, that's the typical narc word. She's crazy. See, that's why I divorced her. Cause she's crazy. Um, I mean, the stories that I could tell, and I, I was thinking this, like, guy, I should write a book about this because the stories are almost unbelievable and the things are just so cruel, but you know, like a, a, another way that they will do things is, um, literally nitpick at you. Nothing you do is right. And I was living with a, a boyfriend for about a year and a half and I didn't pick up on it at first. Um, and you think I would, but he was a very different type of narcissist, very, um, kind of outright, but not in a horrible way. And then they're nice to you. So it's very confusing. You know, they'll bring you flowers and they're really sweet and everything. And you're thinking, well, maybe they're just having a bad day. Why is he being such a jerk? Or is he just really, he doesn't have a filter. I'd be late, you know, something we had dinner plans. And I remember I was all dressed up and he'd look and go, that shirt's a little tight on you, isn't it? Like, I want to lose some weight or something. And it's like, wow. You know, and every time we would go out, he would complain about the food. It doesn't matter if it was a $400 plate restaurant, he would complain about the food um, and then make me feel bad. Like, why did you bring me here? Like, this place is horrible. Like, why would you come here? Um, everything I did was wrong. Um, I didn't clean the house right. Um, my dog, my previous dog would, uh, you know, paw prints. Oh my God. They're see, they're still paw prints. The floor is streaked. I don't like the candles you're burning. They smell. I don't like the cleaner you use, you know, don't do, I mean, literally it's just nonstop. Um, I, we had this beautiful second story bedroom overlooking a lake and all windows, the entire wall was windows. And I was forbidden to open the curtains because it was too much light and, didn't like, I love having the windows open and, and the fresh air and everything. It was in, up in Sacramento, you know, and, and sometimes it's, you know, in the evening it would be nice to have that air because it's so hot there. And I was absolutely forbidden to do that. And I got yelled at for the lotion in the, in the bathroom. I got, and if I rearranged just, I mean, literally it was the stupidest little stuff, my driving, my, it was just, you just can't make them happy. And I think that was where I was so aware of it that I, I was, I, I kind of practiced what I preach and I switched my, my thinking on it and I saw his brain shift. And that was where like, I, I was like a different person after that. But when you see that side of evil, you totally believe what they're capable of. And, you know, it's, it's not your responsibility to fix them. It's not your narcissist can't be fixed. But if they're an alcoholic, if they're a drug addict, 
if they just have an anger issue, it's not your job to fix them. They're adults and they need to deal with their own stuff. But there is just so many different forms of abuse. And what makes me the saddest is the ones that involve your children, where it's the manipulation, it's the brainwashing, um, which is something I deal with a lot, um, to turn your child against you. They lie in court. They have no problem lying in court, whether it's a child support hearing, um, whether it's a small claim situation, they will just make you look like the crazy one. Even when you report things, it's incredibly frustrating that you have to be the one to prove your case of what happened. You live in fear, even when you're not with them anymore. Um, I have to say, I even had one incident where I was, two incidences where I was shocked at the level they would go to where one of them actually scared me, where I actually was able to get a restraining order without him physically touching me. Um, where uh, an ex-boyfriend, we were actually at court for, uh, I believe it was a small claims um, because he would steal my items and sell them. That's another form of abuse. Take your things, break your things. Um, you know, you're crazy. I didn't touch it. What are you talking about? I actually became friends with his ex-wife through his daughter and found out that he did kind of have a bad temper. Um, I wasn't scared of him physically, but I was definitely watching at him. And I'm just, I don't have that personality. I'm not, I don't, men don't scare me. Go ahead, get in my face. I will bark right back at you. But um, I had a, a bailiff actually walk me out to my car and um, my car was parked out in front of the courthouse, just maybe on the corner right there. And um, I, at the time, had been recovering from a heart issue. I was actually wearing a, um, a life vest, which is like a heart monitor. And I was on um, blood thinners and um, I, was, I was pretty sick. And um, it was a lot for me to, to go to this hearing. And so I, I asked the bailiff, I said, I really don't feel comfortable walking to my car. Could you escort me out? And they said, let's wait for him to leave and then I'll walk you to your car. He escorted me out. We get to my car and he's, um, I asked him something about um, the traffic or something. I was like, you know, which way do you think I should go um, at this hour? Um, because I, I wasn't, it was in a different county I wasn't familiar with. And my ex-boyfriend drove by and he saw me and he drove around the block and literally drove past us multiple times. Like we're on a corner and he would drive past us multiple times. And the cop is just sitting there like, I can't believe he's actually got the balls to do that. This is what I've been saying. Like, you guys didn't believe me. And he goes, I'm going to go inside and talk to the judge right now. He's like, I want you to get in your car. I want you to go straight, straight to pick up your daughter. And I want you to go straight home. And I did that. I literally went straight to get her, drove straight home. It was about two hours away at that point. Got home and I was a little shaken. Next day, I take my daughter to a birthday party. I come out and I have a flat tire. I called AAA and um, I had razor blades put in my tire and he actually used to carry a box cutter. And what he had done is he put one razor blade in, I think it had broken, it was pushed in. And then he put another one in and just flattened it enough in the, um, what do you call it? The, the edges of inside of my tire in the middle part. They had told me that if I, I was incredibly lucky that my tire did not explode on the freeway driving home that day, that day before, especially the fact that I was on blood thinners. If I had gotten in a major accident, I probably would have died. 
that was when I woke up and went, holy crap, like this guy, like he's mad at me. He's really mad at me. He wants me gone. And it's very scary to find that somebody will go to that length. And even at that point with a restraining order, the, the court didn't do anything. I had a restraining order. Um, I got him evicted from my house, which took six months. He destroyed my house with $15,000 worth of damage and the court didn't do anything. So it's, it's really crazy that the lengths they will go to. And I think that's why a lot of women don't speak up. And his ex-wife said, you are the first person he has ever dated that actually stood up to him and his family. And he hates you for it because you have called him out. And that is a, that's an abuser's worst fear is being called out and, and having people find out that they're not this person that they pretend to be. Um, and they will, they will make your life a hell as long as they can. I mean, even, even though I have him blocked, he still goes on random. He finds me somehow and posts random things like on my birthday, like, wow, you look horrible. And well, I screenshotted him and turned around and used it as a lesson for my, uh, my domestic violence victims. And, uh, you know, he, he disappeared and erased that message really quick. You know, the damage that they will do mentally to you, I think is worse than anything. And that was one of the things that my, um, my ex-husband did was I had had, um, a miscarriage, uh, you know, probably like around 14, 16 weeks. It was, it was pretty devastating. It was one of quite a few that I had. And, but that one really, really messed with me. You know, you don't want to see anybody for a while. Your, your hormones are all over. You're, you're crying. You're just, you're a mess. It was close to his birthday. And he said, let's, let's just go out to dinner for my birthday at my friend's restaurant. And, um, it'll just be us and a really close friend that, you know, knew the situation. And I was like, okay, I feel like crap, but okay, let's go. Turned out he invited a bunch of people and one of those couples had a newborn with them. And he did that specifically on purpose. And I sat there and I couldn't eat. My eyes were welling up. And finally, I just had to get up and leave. And my daughter, my older daughter came after me. She's like, what the hell is that? And she was like, you know, I think 10 or 11. And she saw it. She saw what he was doing. And these people, I felt so bad. They had no idea what was wrong. And I just remember driving home with him. I just lost it. I was like, what the was that? He's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what do you mean? Like, they're my friends. Like, da, 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 da. And I'm just like, wow, wow. Like you just really had to get right in there, didn't you? And, and that's, that's where the, the mental stuff really is, I think, the hardest to shake after domestic violence abuse. It's incredibly hard to be in a healthy relationship after that because you don't have the trust. You see that people can be one way and they can promise you the moon and, and say all these things, but then turn on you and you realize it was all pretend. None of it was real. And it's, it, it really messes with you. I mean, I, I have been through a lot of counseling. Um, I, I have a really hard time. There are times where I have to pull away from the narcissist group and domestic violence group interaction that I have online because it, it starts to trigger me and it affects my relationship. Um, and he doesn't really understand. Like, I'm like, I don't think I will ever truly trust anybody hundred percent again. And he's like, why? And I'm like, 
you see that other side of, of evil and you just, it's hard, it's hard to go back there. You know, um, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's, it's a process. And I think the thing is, is that when these women are beaten down so much, when you are able to get clarity and see what these people are and see, shift your mindset, your healing is so much easier because you're not second guessing yourself. You're not blaming yourself. You're not replaying all the crap they've told you in your head. When you do it, you look at them, you know, you think, and you go, what? he's nuts. Like, what was he saying? That was, that was all him. But instead these women beat themselves up year after year, after year, after year. And they get in those relationships over and over again that, that enforce it or they're with the wrong counselor. And then, you know, it is really hard when the courts minimize it. Um, you know, you have to really be an advocate for yourself and really stand up for yourself in court, which is really hard. Um, and it's, I have to say, I mean, I've been lucky I've had female judges, um, but some of the male judges I've heard are just, you know, I've had police where I've called them. I said, he's stalking me. He's not allowed at my house. He's down the street. He's threatening to come over. I am, I am scared. I am scared for myself. I'm scared for my child. Please, this is a court order. Please go do something. And instead they go get him and they bring him to my house and say, hand over your child. You two need to figure your stuff out. And it's like, wow, like, I don't want to hand my child over to this person who's in a rage right now. Cause it does affect your children. And you know, my daughter's 22, she still struggles. And it was her stepfather, my little one. I mean, she's got a lot of issues from, you know, and that was the biggest thing I, I, I saw. And the biggest thing I tell women, especially with younger children, I said, do you want your children growing up thinking this is okay? Because they will go and find somebody just like your ex-husband or your husband, and they will repeat this. And they, their boyfriend will be like this. Their husband will be like this. They will think that abuse is okay. You have to get them out of the situation and you have to change your thinking and change their thinking. Otherwise the cycle continues. You know, it's a huge epidemic in our, in our country and I'm sure all over the world, you know, in, in it is what it is. So that's why I, I am just such a, you know, I'm relentless on this where even when I'm having a really bad day or I'm not feeling good or tired or whatever, and I see someone, I will reach out to them and be like, I'm not, I'm not soliciting business. I'm just letting you know, you're not alone. You've got this. If you need anything, you can reach out to me. And it's funny because these women that I've talked to months and months, years ago will message me be like, do you remember me? And I'll be like, what was your story again? And they'll tell me. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, well, this is what I'm going through. And like, thank you so much. Like, I just needed to talk to someone and who gets it and, you know, get that reassurance. And that tells me that they aren't getting that anywhere else. So, you know, I wish I had had somebody like that when I was going through my stuff. So if I can be that for somebody else, then it's, it's worth the sleepless nights and the, you know, whatever it does to me, because they're, they're in a far worse position than I am. And, and that brings us to, if somebody listening uh, feels like they, they'd like to contact you, what's the best way to go about contacting you? www.andreawestrom.com. Um, they can message me there. I have an Instagram. I don't, I don't think I do any, I, I have an Instagram coaching page, but my Facebook coaching page, which is rise within coaching is, um, 
kind of more of a, the busier group, more interaction on that. So they can, they can reach out to me. I'm on every platform um, of social media. I do a lot of my posts. I've started doing posts on TikToks, kind of telling my story. Um, and, you know, anyone, they can reach out to me. That's what a lot of them do. They, they see a post that I do and they reach out to me and I will, you know, I'll talk to anybody going through it and, you know, do what I can to help them. Obviously, you know, if things vary from state to state and, and there's laws and all that type of thing, but, um, I'll just be that resource to, to help. I've, I've, I've literally been on my phone and, uh, texting with someone and gone on their state website for their city and found resources for them. Um, because I don't know what else I can do at that point, you know, if, if they, if they really, really need help. So definitely, I mean, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I would, I'll do anything I can to, to help, you know, with your situation. I can't thank you enough for, for agreeing to come on and share so much, uh, with us. And I think it's, so much more powerful to to have somebody that's gone through it speaking about it and and really has already navigated through the worst of it and 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 come through so you've got an idea of what people need mm-hmm. when when they're in that situation so i i really appreciate you sharing and i i hope that that if there's somebody out there listening, they'll they'll share this. Um, if they know somebody that that's struggling with domestic violence, or if they're just in a relationship that has got them beat down, not feeling good about themselves, you know. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I like I said, I've I've been in a lot of counseling, and and unless it's physical, they really just don't seem to get it, and you know there there's a lot of denial there he's not that bad you know he brought me flowers today but then he hit me and it's just like honey no like i'm i'm kind of a tough love kind of coach i will i'm not going to sugarcoat it for you i'm going to tell you exactly what's going on whether you want to hear it or not because sometimes you need that smack in the head to get it through unfortunately because you have been so brainwashed and you know it's it's, you know, hate me. They might hate me. They may be mad at me at the time, but then they get it. And I think, and and like I said too, it's, it's a process. There's more to it than just their current situation. There's probably a past situation. There's, you know, the goal is, is to keep them from having a future situation. I'll have links to your website and and your social media accounts in the show notes. So uh, those listening or, or watching on YouTube, uh, you can just go to the show notes and uh, you can connect with Andrea through one of those links. So Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It's really, it feels good to get the message out. And if there's, you know, anyone that, that this goes to that I can help them, you know, it's, it's well worth it. Telling my stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, 
Our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.